Any of y'all feel like you've got everything together and you're ready for what life throws at you and then all of a sudden you're throwing a curveball? Any of y'all ever been there before? Well, we had this happen time and time again at Fall Festival. I want to show y'all exactly what I'm talking about real quick. Y'all watch this real quick, please. They weren't ready for that scarecrow to be a real guy. And I tell you what, it sent kind of shockwaves through some people. How many of y'all experienced that, whether you're watching somebody get scared or getting scared yourself? Anybody? Well, the thing about it is if we're going to be ready, if we're going to live in such a way that we're ready to face the things that are coming our way, we've got to have a mentality that is approaching things. And the Bible gives us a real clear answer on how we're to approach life, how we're to approach godliness, how we're to to live and breathe and act and function. And the Bible says it this way, that we are to pray without ceasing, that in all things we are to pray and that we are to be a people of prayer. Now, we've been trying to jumpstart this in our church. Three weeks ago, we had Gordon Fort come in, Dr. Fort came and He led this Let Us Pray weekend, and we had a whole day where we focused on it. That launched us into 21 days of prayer. In the middle of our 21 days of prayer on the Thursdays from sunup to sundown, we've been praying. And what I want you to understand is that even though this is day 21 in our 21 days of prayer, this is not meant for this to be the last time that we pray. Instead, this is to be a driver to push us forth so that we can be a people of prayer. And as we are thinking about prayer, as we're thinking about being ready and living ready, we're going to look at what Paul was praying for the church in Thessalonica. Now, this is at the end of chapter uh, 3. And as he is in the end of this, he's about to move from commending them in their faith to challenging them in their faith. And so if you have your Bible, please read along with me, 1 Thessalonians 3. We're going to be in 11 through 13 today. And this is what it says. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So he's, he's giving them this, this thought, this request to God. May God direct us to you. I long to be with you. I yearn for you. Verse 12, and may the Lord make you Increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Whenever we look at this, and it starts off in verse 11, it says, Now may our God and Father, right? He is directing this. God and Father, may our God, may our, may our God, may our Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus direct our way to you. I want you to understand that my desire, and he's writing this, I'm praying that God would get us back together. I long for, I miss you, I want to be with you, right? You can see this, that he just has this burden and a weight on his shoulders and his heart, a, a burden to be with his people. And whenever you think about this, I think a prayer for us that the church should have is that the church should yearn to be together. 
We should desire to be together. We should long to be together. And don't miss this because there's an irony that I see as soon as I I even think about this thought or as I say it. Paul would have done anything, anything he could to be with his church family. There was nothing more, nothing less than the hindrance of Satan himself preventing him from going to church, preventing him from being with his church family. All he wanted to do was be there, and we got people in our church that skip. We got people in our church that look for excuses not to go to worship. We got people who make excuses that, well, I can't can't do this because I've got to do that. I would go, but I'm tired. I would go to church, but I don't feel it's maybe safe enough, even though I go to the grocery store, the ball games, the community center. We got people that will make excuses not to go to church, but that's a heart that doesn't understand and know what church is for. That's a heart that misses the point of church because church was never meant to be a beating for you. Church was meant to be a blessing. Church was never meant to bring about guilt Church was meant to be a gift for you to live the life that Christ calls you to. Paul is saying, I am yearning for you. Right? Like whenever you're thinking about yearning, it's November. And I've made a a personal commitment not to let my holidays go from Halloween to Christmas. I'm going to celebrate Thanksgiving. And I'm going to celebrate Thanksgiving with dressing, some mashed potatoes, That sweet potato casserole thing, I don't even know what it's called. I just know it's good. I'm going to have some crescent rolls, and I'm going to have my fill of pie. And when I say my fill of pie, it starts and ends with pecan, but I want you to understand this. I'm going to have some chocolate pie, and I'm also going to have a little sliver of pumpkin pie too, because that's just how I do it. Are y'all with me on this? And like there's part of me that's yearning for that meal, because I only get my dressing once a year, maybe twice if I'm lucky at Christmas. Any of y'all hungry yet? I did that on purpose. I'm not even going to repent or say I'm sorry. Some of y'all are here and what you're thinking is, okay, the food's good, but at Thanksgiving, I just want to be with my family. I can't wait to see my family. I wish I had your family, but I have mine, so I don't think that way. Can't wait to have that food. And as you think about that yearning for it, that desire for everything that comes along with Thanksgiving, that yearning for it. Think in those terms. Because he said, I, I would give anything to be with you. And what he understood is that togetherness meant that they could share their life more intimately. Togetherness meant that they could be coming together and they shared a, a purpose to know Christ and to make him known, to make disciples and to baptize them and to disciple them, right? That when they came together, they had shared values. When they came together, they had shared unity. In my connect group on Wednesday night, we're talking about community, the community of faith. And what we just kind of came to this conclusion of is that if in our community, in our life, if we don't have community somewhere, we're going to find it somewhere. I don't know if y'all know this, but we had a guy that was in a biker gang in our church. It was me. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I look like that type, right? And he talked about the thing that kept bringing him and drawing him back to that gang was that family 
that community. And then he made this life change, and he had been a Christian, walked away from the faith, and then God just kind of brought him back, and he ended up here. And he talked about how he was being pulled back to the community from this biker gang. And I'm not talking about like a little like, hey, we're going to hang out. Like I'm talking about a legitimate one that would make you nervous. And he said that he was wrestling because he knew he needed to be in the new life. He felt God convicting him and calling him, but he was just lacking community. And then one day when he was talking about, did we join the right church? Were things going right? Were things going bad? How, how should, did they make a mistake and come into First Baptist Rowlett? They were at dinner talking about it, and somebody rang their ring doorbell, and in it, this lady, it's my wife, just going to go ahead and brag on her, had a gift that said, we love you, we're we're glad you're part of the church family. She put it down, and it was really for his kids. And they said, you know what, we're not having this conversation, we're at the right place. You know what keeps him connected in our church and keeps him away from sinful lifestyle? community of faith, church. And whenever we think about all the things that togetherness brings, like I think about Fall Festival, how it brought us together for a common good. I think about worship, how we come together for a common good. I think about home groups. I think about connect groups, sharing our lives together because that is what church is supposed to do. Builds us up and challenges us, equips us. It does all these things to make us or move us from where we are to where Christ wants us to be. Church is a gift, and he understood it, and it would take Satan himself preventing him from coming. And because Satan had been effective in preventing him from coming back to the church, he said, oh, I long for you, and I pray that I could just be here. I'm just curious. I'm going to do a little detour over here. Y'all been praying to come back to church for a while, that you could be healthy just so you could be with your church family? Man, this, this is a glory to God moment. Now, the second thing we see is in verse 12. Verse 12 says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Now, I, I want you to understand this. And I wrote it down to make sure I get it right. This was not a prayer because they lack love. The church at Thessalonica, the Thessalonians themselves, abounded in generosity. This church was giving of themselves. This church was a great church who was loving and kind and generous and benevolent and evangelistic. But what Paul is saying here is that this was because the overflow of Jesus was always needed. And it wasn't because they were lacking in their faith It was that the outworking of their faith was to always increase. The church at Thessalonica was a great, great church, but they did not arrive. Listen to me, listen to me. If they were a great church and they needed to continue to abound and increase and do greater things, church, can I tell you that we haven't arrived? And for as great as our church is, and I love our church, For the great works that we do, and we have done great works, we adopted an entire village in Brazil. We got every kid. I think we have one left. We got all but one. Somebody's going to go get that one today. Amen, somebody? We had a fall festival. Tons of workers reaching our community. But our work is not done. 
Because there are still people in our community who need to feel the love of God, hear the message of Jesus Christ, and come to faith in him. And what Paul is praying is, even though y'all are great, I'm praying that y'all would continue to abound. Even though y'all are doing great things, don't be satisfied with what you did yesterday. Continue to do more. He's praying that they would increase in their love for others. And the only way that we do this is to have Jesus flow from us into others. The only way that we can properly love and properly give and properly serve is that that Holy Spirit, that Jesus himself will move and work and be so active in our lives that he pours from us into others. If y'all ever have a faucet that overflows, it gets everywhere. And if you give it enough time, it will flood your house. Can I tell you that love of God needs to come through you to the point that it floods your house? That not only does it flood your house, it floods your neighbor's house. To where whenever you're going through Target or Kroger or Walmart, that, that Holy Spirit, that the love of God would flood you and it would get other people wet, that they would experience the love of Christ through you because you're always engaged in God. How do you do that? Because you're a person of prayer. Praying without ceasing. You're a person of the Word. You study the Word. You meditate on the word. You speak the word. And as the word is moving and flowing from you and through you, it gets on other people. How do you abound? You stay in step with the spirit. Our love must reach beyond ourselves. Our love must reach beyond our walls. Our love must reach beyond our church to those outside our walls, outside our homes, outside our walls, outside our church. Our love must abound. Our love must increase. And this was Paul's prayer for them, that they would not be satisfied with the good that they had done, but that they would always have a hunger for the lost that they would not be satisfied with the good that they had done, but that they would always seek to show others the love, that they would not grow complacent or apathetic, but that they would abound. And, and, and so we, we think of this, like we had a great fall festival, amen? Man, it was fun. Had a great time. Tons of people. We have gotten so big with this where we used to just kind of have that section. Now we have fall festival on every, pretty much every square inch of our property. We did good, right? I, like I, I, legitimately. So do we stop or do we increase and, and abound in love? Because like whenever I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking that there's people that are still at the rec center. There's still people at the baseball fields and the soccer fields that need Jesus. Like I, I, I think about Main Street I think about City Hall. I think about the, the restaurants and the stores. And here's what I know about the people of Rowlett. They still need Jesus. I, I think about all the different activities where people will come into our town. They'll come in maybe for fireworks or they'll come in for food trucks or farmer's market. And you know what I know? They're going to come in there maybe for entertainment or food, but they need Jesus. And so for us, we've got to always have a mentality that thinks not just about ourselves and what we've done, but that thinks and sees people the way that Jesus does, sinners in need of a Savior. 
We need to be motivated by the fact that Christ loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And as we have received Jesus, we need to give Jesus and abound in that. We've seen baptisms every week for the past few weeks. We've got another one this week and next week. You want to know what? We need to do more because there are people do not know the name of Jesus. There are people who are destined for an eternity in hell, and we must have a heart that abounds in love for them. Look at this next verse. As we continue in verse 13, it says, you abound in love so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. That he may establish your hearts blameless. How do you get blameless? You get blameless in holiness. Holiness is the defining attribute of God. Like if you need one, holiness is it. And in God's holiness, you have purity. He is set apart. He is like no other. There is none like him. You have righteousness and justice. You have mercy and wrath. You have love that is abounding so much that if we get a, a touch of him, a taste of his love, that it just flows from us naturally into those around us. Holiness. And it comes, our blamelessness comes by being holy before our God. And as you, you think about this, we have to keep in our mind, like if we're going to live a blameless life, we've got to be found in Christ. We've got to be found in God himself, God alone. God is the only one who produces holiness. God is the only one who can make a man blameless. That's the whole thing about the cross. Christ bore our sins. He took on our iniquity. And he transferred his righteousness as he took on our sin. He gave us his righteousness. When we say we're covered in the blood, we're covered in the righteousness of Christ. He died in our place and he imputed us. He gave us his holiness. We need to walk in that holiness. Amen. One author said it this way. It says, God's holiness is his defining characteristic. It is a term used in the Bible to describe both his goodness and his power. It is completely unique and utterly all-powerful, radiating from a God-like energy. He is, and he transfers it to us. And like the, the thing is, how, how do we know? How, how do we know if, if we're living holy or not? Well, first of all, you know what you look at when no one else is watching. When you're alone, you know what goes through your mind. Let me ask you a question. Holiness or unholiness? When people are rude to you, or hateful to you, or that server doesn't come in time, or that person cuts in line at the grocery store. Holy or unholy? You want those thoughts broadcasted to all? Or you want to keep that to yourself? When nobody's there and you pick up the phone and you want to tell somebody how much you've been wronged, holy or unholy? You talk about it righteous or unrighteous? And you might be thinking, well, you know, I, I'm not like Phil. I don't gossip all the time. I don't have a sour attitude like Libby all the time. I, I think I'm doing pretty good. Now, y'all know I'm just kidding about Libby. 
evidence of the Holy Spirit can be seen in a selfless love for others. Giving of oneself for Christ. Sacrificing like Christ. Holiness can be, this isn't the only evidence of this. But it's a good evidence of this because you might think yourself doing the right thing. But if you only live for yourself, you're missing the point. I think about Fall Festival, and we had all these numbers. We had, if we just say that, and there's a formula that we use, if we say that every family just had two, which we know is not accurate, we know that there are families of seven, eight, nine people that came in together. But if if everybody just had two, you know we had like almost 4,000 people here. But the reality of that is most families came with three, four, five, six, seven, eight people, right? My favorite number is, is not that number. Like whenever I think about our church, my favorite number is 151, 151. You know what that represents? 151 people from our church serving our community the night of Fall Festival. That's amazing to me. I mean, we're, we're talking about 151 people instead of worrying about themselves, some of them not even worried about their children, making sure that people from our community could come in and have a good time. You know what else? I don't know the exact amount of candy we had. All, all I know is we had truckloads. We believe we had more kids and more families than we've ever had at a fall festival before, but we also had more candy. And there was only one smart aleck that brought Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> they're they're kind of using it as an example. Who wants a Tootsie Roll? All the kids look back and say, I don't want that trash. I want the good stuff. You know what that shows me about our church? We're not worried about ourselves. We're worried about others. We want to make sure that by any means necessary, we can share the love of Christ so that we can share the message of Christ, that we can give people the good news. And so whenever I I think about that in this passage, now may our Lord God and our Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that you may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. How do we live ready? Because he's talking about that, that we should live ready. Ready for the return of Jesus. And I'm just, I'm just telling, if your life isn't holy the way it should be, it's because you don't understand that Jesus could come back at any moment. I don't want Jesus to come back when I'm in an unclean moment. I don't want to be in the middle of my mouth speaking something hateful, and then the Father of love come down at that moment, and I'm like, why did I blow the moment? If we lived ready, if we lived expecting Jesus to come back at any moment, it would transform our lives. But how do we do this? I think we have to be direct in our prayer life. And the great thing about 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13 is it gives us a prayer list. Number one, we need to pray for unity. We need to pray for unity in our church. We need to guard. We need to protect. We need to fight for unity in our church, never against people in our church. We need to be united 
Focus not on ourselves, not focused on our own desires, not focused on our wants, but focused on the mission that Jesus gave the church, the marching orders, to go and make disciples, baptizing them, training them in righteousness. Pray for unity. Number two, pray for productivity. I don't want to be a church that maintains. God did not call me to the gospel ministry to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ so I could be a maintenance worker in the church and just maintain what we have. I want to reach more people today than I did yesterday. I want our church to be more effective this year and next year than we were the year before that and the year before that. I want God to use us in ways that I have Pam coming to me and say, hey, guess what? I was at work. I was doing my volunteer job. You know that jerk I work with? Everybody knows about him. Guess what? He gave his life to Christ. I've been sharing Christ with him for years. And guess what? He received Christ as a say. I want to hear stories about how y'all are going to the gym, working out, walking around the rec center, and you had an opportunity to have a gospel conversation, and you led somebody that you walk with to Christ. I want to hear stories about fathers and mothers bringing their children to faith in Christ and baptizing them. I want stories of God doing more. I don't want to maintain. I'm not about that game. I want to be productive. I want to be more effective ever moving forward than we have been in the past because souls are at stake. You know what else I want for us? You know what Paul is praying for us, what we should be praying for ourselves? We need to pray for spirituality. Not religiousness. We need to pray for that holiness, that we would live blameless lives as the Spirit of God flows from us, through us, to others. We need to pray that we would know Christ, make Him known, and that the power of Christ that lives and dwells within us would be transformative to our daily lives and our priorities and our wants and our desires. That He would reign supreme in our life and that it would be evident to all that we know Christ and Christ knows us. And as we kind of get to day 21 of 21 days of prayer, what I hope these past three weeks have done, and this is part of the intent to create a habit, is that we will have a habit and a determination that says, I will pray for my church. I will pray for my brothers and sisters that I'm in connect group with, but I'll be praying for the other generations. I'll be praying for my staff. I'll be praying for my pastor. I'll be praying that God's hand of favor would be upon our church so that we could be more effective than we've ever been reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. That we could be a place of connection, that those who are far from God, disconnected from God, could be united with him and his family. I will pray for my friends and my family workers, my co-workers that don't know Jesus, that they would come to faith and get connected with his church. I will pray for my church.